Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. There are times in our lives when the promises of God seem to disappear from our view, often marred by life's trials. It's in these times we need to redirect our view to a higher perspective. Join us now as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. We will come before you, Lord, in wonder, wonder. We will fall on our knees and surrender. We surrender to you. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message, The Promises of God, From Judah to Salmon. So, Catalina Island is an island right off the coast. It's only 22 miles from LA, from San Pedro Harbor to Catalina, 22 miles, just right there off the coast of California. The population of Catalina, and you want to know this, is over 4,000 people, but just barely. The island is 22 miles long and eight miles wide. And I love those days when you can see it from the beach. I just love it when you look out and you're like, there's Catalina. And sometimes it's so clear. And you can see the ridges of the cliffs. You know, you can see even the color, the brown, and uh, just the, uh, the crags. You can see where the isthmus runs through it. And you can trace the outline of the island with your eyes. And you feel like you could almost swim there. You ever have those days? You're like, there it is. It's so clear. Now, there are other days when you are very hard-pressed to believe that there's actually an island out there. It looks like you're staring at an endless ocean. And you think that you are looking at a blank horizon. But there are all sorts of things. Catalina's still there. I just want you to know that. But there are all sorts of things that can obscure our view of Catalina. A cloudy day like today, you go down there and you're not going to see it. Storms will obscure our view. Smog. It'll just look like a big haze out there. Sometimes it just looks like maybe it's another cloud formation. But that can happen because we're looking for it in the wrong place or, or maybe bad vision. Last Sunday morning, in my neighborhood, we had a power outage at 5.04. I know because I looked at the clock and said, you know, I could sleep for 26 more minutes. And all of a sudden, my clock went blank and, you know, the electricity went out and our smoke detectors thought it was a fire. And it was going, fire, fire, fire. Okay, it's totally pitch black in my house. Brian is just getting over a cold. And, you know, men who are getting over colds or have colds are sometimes a little cranky. And he's got to preach that Sunday. And here it is, like, fire, fire. And, you know, that noise is so blaring. So the first thing Brian does is he gets out of bed. He has a little flashlight. I've got a wind-up flashlight. 
And I've got my wind-up flashlight, and I'm going into the bathroom, and I'm putting on my contacts, and I'm turning on the shower, and I'm setting it next to the shower so I have some light to, you know, wash by. And he's going around checking for fire in the house. Then he's trying to figure out how to turn off the smoke detectors. And he's got a stepladder and this little tiny flashlight going around. You know, by this time it's, you know, 5.30, and he's trying to, to figure it out. So then... They're still blaring. I put earplugs in so I can deal with this and still put my makeup on with my, with my um, flashlight. That's wind up. So, you know, this is how it is. It starts to, to dim and I'm like... And I'm thinking it's just absolutely comical. It, it really is. It's, it's horrid, but it's comical. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you're either going to get mad or you're just going to laugh like ha, 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 ha. So I just, I did, you know, especially seeing Brian on the stepladder with the flashlight trying to figure out what's going on. It was funny. So finally, we have to, the electricity's still out. We have to go on YouTube. You know, with our little uh, computer, we go on YouTube, and I'm looking up how to stop smoke detectors. Now, by this time, like I said, it's 535. At least I'm clean. I've got my contacts in. And I'm, I'm trying to look up, and I, you know, I thought it was the dim light and everything, but I'm trying to look up how to dismantle. So he realizes that, you know, he was trying to turn it or slide it, but you have to turn it, then slide it, remove the batteries. He had to take all seven smoke detectors down, all seven on Sunday morning. So he takes the smoke detectors down and the lights come back on and he gets in the shower and the doorbell rings. By this time, it's a quarter to five. And I go to answer the door and it's two policemen. And they're like, we, we heard there's a disturbance here. One of your neighbors called. And I looked at him, I said, we have great neighbors. We have the best neighbors. I mean, neighbors that care about you and say, you know what? That alarm's going off. Could you please check their house? Because we're scared. We're not going to check it just in case it is burglars. So they said, it's, we, we checked, and it's not your burglar alarm. It was you know, something else. I said, it's my smoke detectors. For some reason, the power failure sent them into overdrive. And I said, but you know what? I am so thankful for you. It is so nice of you to come out to this neighborhood. You are making me feel so safe. And they're like, oh, ma'am, you know, it's our job. <laughs> and I said, well, I am very, very thankful. I said, thank you for coming out at five, you know, 545 on a Sunday morning to check on us. And I'm totally dressed. I've got my hair up. You know, I look good. <laughs> thank you for coming. I always look this way at 545 in the morning. Of course, I really thought I looked good until the lights came on full flash. But... Uh, <laughs> But it was so funny, you know, because I felt pretty accomplished. Like, look what I did in the dark. So we get to church, and Brian's not feeling well. So between services, I decide to go and get him some, some juice. Um, and I'm in the car, and I'm like, wow, nothing's very clear. I cannot, you know, I can't see the signs from far away. And I realized I put my contacts in the wrong eyes. <laughs> yeah, so much for wind-up flashlights at 504 while your smoke detector's going off. But my, my, my sight was off because my vision was off because I put the contacts in the wrong eyes. So I couldn't have seen Catalina if I wanted to that morning. But things like that can keep us from seeing the reality of what really is. The reality of what really is. Because Catalina really is. It's there, whether you see it or not. Her longitude and latitude have not changed. It's not like, oh, we moved Catalina last night. Sorry. It's still there. Her residents are still very much alive and very active. 
She is still the same shape. She maintains her topography. Topography, And when I consider Catalina, I am reminded of God's promises. Sometimes God's promises are so clear. They seem so close that I can reach out and touch them. Isn't that true? Other times, I can trace them, the outline in my life, and I can see, oh, yes, here it is, and I can see where we're going with this. Sometimes I can see the depths or even feel the depths and the heights of the promises of God. I'm reveling in them. I'm anticipating their fulfillment. And the first time when you receive a promise, because God has promises for all of us, do you remember the quickening of your pulse? And the thought, I think this is God speaking to me. You know that? Where you feel God's hand taking a promise, maybe in a song, maybe in a scripture reading, maybe from the pulpit coming through a Bible study, maybe from a friend, and you feel God taking that very promise and applying it to your heart. It's thrilling and slightly unnerving, isn't it? Because now you've got to exercise faith. God is putting your name on a promise You're almost afraid to acknowledge that what you know in your heart to be true is God actually promising to move for you and to work on your behalf. I have a a friend, and when she was 15 years old, she had a boyfriend. Her husband calls him Cheapskate Chris, but that was her boyfriend for years. And um, she was at a retreat 15 years old. And the Lord spoke to her and told her she was going to marry this guy that she knew as a friend. And she wrote it in her journal at 15. And she kind of laughed as she wrote it out, but she just wrote it out. And she was dating this this guy, Cheapskate Chris, for five years. And um, they'd been dating for five years when Cheapskate Chris broke up with her. And she was absolutely crushed. But at the same time, she had become friends with um, this other guy, Michael, whose name she had written in her journal, but she had forgotten about the journal entry. Totally forgotten. And she started having feelings for Michael and thinking, boy, are, are these real? Can, can this really be? And Michael took her to see the house that he wanted to buy. And she looked at him and she said, why do you care what I think about the house you're going to buy? He said, because I want you to live in it with me someday as my wife. And she said, well, that's a different matter. (laughs) But then she needed confirmation. And she happened to be looking through her journals. And there she saw the promise of God dated when God said, you're going to marry Michael Higgins. What an amazing God we serve. But there are times when the promises seem to disappear from our view, and we wonder if we ever really heard from God at all. We doubt ourselves, we doubt the promise, and it disappears from our view. It is obscured. And if we see it at all, it's just a dim outline that seems more ethereal than substantial or else it seems miles and miles and miles and years and eons away from us. Then suddenly, when we least expect it, we look out on the horizon and there it is, 
the promise of God, shining in all its glory, closer than we expected, or maybe in its very fulfillment, you are literally standing on the shores of Catalina Island. Let me say this. The promises of God are constant. They are always there. They don't disappear. They don't change in longitude or latitude. They are consistent. They are constant. They are as they have always been. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Elizabeth said to Mary in Luke 1, 45, blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things promised to her by the Lord. It's the same promise It's the same shape, the same surety, but what mars our vision? What keeps us from seeing it? Well, sometimes it's clouds, isn't it? It's just the normal events of life. Just some days are just cloudier than others, and it's harder to maintain our faith and just to believe. Other times it's storms. It's the upheavals that seem to put the promises at a distance or make them seem absolutely impossible to be fulfilled. Other times it's smog. It's the pollutants in the environment. It's the sin. And then sometimes we're looking in the wrong places. Our own schedules for God's promises to be fulfilled is the wrong place to look. Lord, you've got 10 minutes to fulfill that promise. You've got a half an hour. I give you a month. And God says, you know what? I make all things beautiful in my time. And we're looking in the wrong place. Or we're looking at our own ways of having it fulfilled. And we're looking down the wrong roads when he's coming in the air. One thing I have come to expect from God is the unexpected. You know, I used to be better at prayer because I used to give God directions. And so my prayers took longer. You know, because I, you know, down the street, three doors over, make a left, take a right. Kind of like Brian when he's driving, how we work together. I, from the passenger seat, I'm helping him. I don't know why he doesn't enjoy it more. But, you know, I used to give God directed prayers, exactly what he needed to do in everybody's life and when. And now I'm realizing that he does something exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. He's got a different way, an unexpected way, where sometimes you look back and you go, wow, that was better than my suggestion. That was better than my prayer. Oh, how thoroughly you did that, Lord. God has the best way, Oswald Chambers said, of doing things. And when I am looking for the expected or the natural or the normal, rather than for the God way, I can't see the promises of God. Sometimes it's, I'm simply not in the right place to see the promises. You can't see Catalina from ground level in Santa Ana. You need a higher perspective or a closer vantage point. We cannot see the promises of God until we are near God. We need an uplifted perspective. 
Sometimes we cannot see the promises because we are looking down. And so God lifts our head, as the psalmist says in Psalm 3, 3, that he lifts our head so that we can see the promises. Sometimes, again, it's bad vision. We've got our contacts in the wrong eyes. And the vision is marred by our own doing. We thought we were doing so well in the dark, only to learn we should have just cleaned our glasses and put them on. But we need to be looking for the promises. We need to be scanning the horizon constantly, like Elijah's servant, looking for the cloud of rain. And when Elijah heard that there was a small cloud the size of a man's hand, he began to rejoice because he knew the fulfillment of the promise was coming. The men and women that we studied this week were those who were given the promises of God. And at times in their life, those promises must have been so clear and other times so obscured. And isn't that how the promises of God are? They go in and out of focus, in and out of sight. Sometimes we see them and sometimes they're hidden. I think of the days that these men lived in and all the responsibilities and events At times, those promises must have been so exciting and so close. And other times, they were totally obscured by hardship, oppression, busyness, threats, battles, distance, wilderness. Today, we read their story. And we often disdain these Israelites for their unbelief. Because we read about the plagues on Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the miracle of the daily manna, the water bursting from the rock, the victory over enemies, the cloud covered by day and the pillar by night. And we think, wait a second, how could you doubt God's faithfulness? We can see it. We can trace it in their lives. But we fail to trace God's faithfulness in our own life. We fail to look back and simply connect the dots of how God has been absolutely faithful. What if our lives were written and people were reading ours? They'll be like, that dumb Cheryl, what was wrong with her? Look how God faithfully came through for her every single time. And yet she got to that trial and she's like, oh Lord, are you going to come through? Can you work through this? Is that how our biography will read? Probably so. Sorry. We are so like them. Our lives are filled with miracles. God has been faithful to each one of us. We all have our own testimonies of God working in our lives. Plagues. We have seen God lifting our oppression and putting the oppression that the enemy gave us back on the enemy's camp, pressing them, pressing them until they have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. God has parted Red Seas. He has made a way where there was no way. All of us have come to those places and said, Lord, there's no way through this one. And God has parted the Red Sea. We have all experienced the manna, God's provision, God's miraculous provision. I bet each one of you has a testimony of God's provision in some unique and precious way. Water from a rock. 
the place of refreshment where you didn't expect it. Out in the wilderness where God, in those times of of wilderness where you feel so dry and God suddenly refreshes you by his word, victory, and his covering and his guidance. So let's consider what these men and this woman experienced when they saw and when they couldn't see the promises. Let's begin with prayer. Perez. I say Perez. You can say it any way you want. The promise says, probably seemed very close to him. He was born in Canaan, a land of promise, but he lived like a foreigner. His mother and father lived in the same home, but had no relationship. He went through famine, shortage of grain, and maybe at this time, the promises were a bit obscured. His father and uncles traveled to Egypt to buy grain. And there was word that his father Judah was treated roughly by the prime minister of Egypt. And at this time, everything must have been so cloudy, those promises of God. His father returns a second time with great news. Uncle Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt. And they're all going to move to Egypt where they will be treated like royalty, given their own property in the land of Goshen, where they can continue to tend sheep and they will never, ever hunger again. Oh, at that time, the promises must have seemed so close. He was moving to Egypt. He was set up by his uncle and he was about to enjoy the greatest prosperity of his life. And he was going to be with his whole family. Perez has a son named Hezron. Hezron is living in Egypt and probably continued in the prosperity because of Joseph. Joseph might have died during the lifetime of Hezron. Yet Joseph is still remembered and revered in Egypt for saving the nation and population of Egypt. And the promises all seemed very plausible. If they're cloudy, it doesn't matter because they're still... They're still plausible. You know, when you've got resources and when you've got avenues that you can go down, you're like, oh God, this is an easy one. I'm sure you're going to come through. It's when those resources dry up and those avenues that we think we're going to travel down, those roads become closed to us that we're like, oh Lord, I don't know how you're going to come through on this one. Isn't it true? It's when we can no longer trust ourselves in our own strength. So at this point, Hezron can still see possibilities. He could envision a return to Canaan. They're very rich. They're very successful in Egypt. His family is growing. They're all together. They're very secure in the land of Goshen. But he has a son, Ram. And during this time, things begin to change in Egypt. Ram probably felt the growing disfavor of the government toward him. And Joseph, his, his relative, who was revered and respected, began to be forgotten. And life became more laborious. This could even be the time when some of his family was conscripted into labor services for Egypt. And the promises at this time would be distancing themselves. And yet still, perhaps, visible at times. He has a son, Aminadab. By this time, the hardship must have begun. The Israelites are made to build the elaborate tombs and edifices of the Egyptian empire. His daughter would marry into the clan of Levi, Aaron, 
Moses' brother. And though there was no priesthood as yet, the promises would be almost non-existent. No priesthood. No, no spiritual well from which to dry. During his time, Egypt was excessively oppressive. Threats to his children and grandchildren, the midwives, were instructed by the Pharaoh to kill every male child of the Israelites. The promises of God would be faint, if not invisible. All disappearing from view. The Hebrew people were on the verge of distinction because of the disfavor of the Pharaoh. But he has a son, Nashon. And during Nashon's lifetime, the promises of God would be revived. Though our vision of God's promises can be marred by the circumstances of life, we can rest assured in this. The promises of God are constant and they are consistent. God reminds us in the scriptures that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is The Promises of God from Judah to Salmon. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we will look at part two of our study on the promises of God from Judah to Salmon as we continue our series with Cheryl Broderson through the lineage of the King. We do hope you make plans to join us. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.